Support for Gig with Mike Redman comes from Music Connection. For 45 years, connecting artists and musicians with each other and the industry. And you can find them on the web at musicconnection.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Gig with Mike Redman. I'm your host, as you might guess, Mike Redman. You know, it's not every day that I get to explore the mind of a composer who's on the brink of orchestrating his own legacy. Marco Antonini's music isn't just a soundtrack. It's a journey that takes us through emotions, landscapes, stories. He's an amazing young talent. The thing that drew me to track Marco down was the response of another guest, Dan Carlin. When I asked him, have you ever had someone come through the Thornton Film Music Program that you instantly knew would be successful? You know, he said, without a pause, he said, Marco Antonini. Marco is an inspiration to the dedication and passion we all hope to hear in a film score. He's also somebody I'll be watching closely as he climbs that ladder into Hollywood and beyond as a film composer. So it's my pleasure, everybody. Marco Antonini. What's the best part for you of being a composer, a film composer? It is probably the collaboration aspect. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very different than, than doing music for the concert hall because it's less of a solitary business and because your voice is usually uh, declinated for the story and specifically for the vision of the story that the filmmaker has. Mm-hmm. And uh, what some of the best memories I have in the projects uh, that I've done so far here, but also the ones that I was doing back in uh, in Italy, is um, the spotting sessions, the review mm-hmm. sessions with the director, the moment where you uh, actually discuss what you can pull out of your toolbox and put at the service of the story. Right. And it happened a, a good couple of times that it actually, uh, these aspects specifically brought me to explore aspects stylistically and musically that I probably wouldn't have, uh, you know, explored on my own because mm-hmm. there's always something that they, your instinct goes to first and then right. somebody has a different vision and you discover that you pull out something that's particularly original because of that. Mm. So definitely collaboration is the golden thing for me. That's really cool. I, I, that's not the answer I expected, but um, the team sport in a in a solo pursuit is really the most fun I've ever had too. Let's talk about your newest project, uh, Chindia. Yes, uh, I know you're really proud of it, and I, I'd love you to talk a little bit about it because, especially the way that you were able to blend two different cultures, the music of the two different cultures. Yeah, so uh, this is the latest project from uh, a director I've been working with for many years, and um, uh, his name is Sikandar Sidhu. He's an Indian director, lives in uh, Los Angeles, and I'm pretty confident we're going to hear about him in the future. And it's not because I'm obviously biased, but because he has a very distinctive filmmaking language and he has the capacity of bringing this, this style into his projects regardless of the genre and he's been mm-hmm. doing a lot of things we did a psychological drama this is a romantic comedy with mm-hmm. very um, uh, sudden changes of tone that's almost animation like at times mm-hmm. 
and we're about to start on a thriller so completely different movies but you definitely see that there is a particular personal style which is a very important thing nowadays this movie chindia is is the story to say quickly it's the story of an indian guy and uh, a chinese american girl who mm. get married for all the wrong reasons mm-hmm. and the two families from the countries of origin are particularly conservative and not very fond of each other's culture. Mm-hmm. So they come to the US and there is sort of a cultural war among them, treated obviously with a very lightweight tone, but it's um, it creates, it makes fun of all the, the common sayings, the silly things that they say about each other. Right. Okay. So what we did with the score is because of uh, the, the fact that the film is set in the US and, and obviously uh, I'm a Western composer, we decided to move, and if specifically for the story we're talking about universal aspects, mm-hmm. like brotherhood among human beings regardless of color, race, mm-hmm. love and marriage, things that transcend the national and cultural boundaries, sure. the decision was to Treat this as a traditional Hollywood romantic comedy score okay. from an orchestral perspective and then incorporate instrumental and stylistic elements from these two cultures mm. uh, without the aim of being philologic as a compositional approach. Like, I'm sure. not trying to write in the scales or doing things like that. What we did instead is bring in specialists that play these instruments and ask them to add to the score and then readapt elements of the Western uh, Uh, part, mm -hmm. which is the orchestra, around what they did. Specifically, we had Kabir Jita, who is a a fantastic percussion player from the Bay Area, Mm -hmm. who is a traditional player. He plays doldrum and tablas in the movies, in addition to Esraj, which is a, a Bodin strings instrument with a specific um, almost improvisational uh, approach is very mm-hmm. good at, at feeding into situations but we specifically asked him to do it the way he would do it sure so we we actually enlisted people that could bring in the authentic aspect and then we tried to orchestrate this aspect Mm-hmm. If you will. Oh, very, yes. so we have Indian instruments and we have a, a, a vast array of uh, Chinese wind instruments mm-hmm. that were played um, uh, by an American player based in Florida, Christy Negus, who is a specialist of world instruments. Very interesting. That's, a, that's yeah. awesome. That sounds like such a fun project. I'm going to ask you a question because we could talk about Dan Carlin in a minute. And I was listening to him yesterday, and he we he got we got into a discussion about scores and where they're headed, you know, and and how the you know traditional score was very thematic, you know, the the, the couples in love and the and they, you know, the guy enters the room and there's these three notes that you always identify with him and etc. But the fact that there, over the past few years, ten years, it's been switching and moving. And like, you know, John Williams is probably the bat- last huge, you know, thematic composer. And, and, and he asked a question. I'd like your uh, opinion of it. Where do you think it's heading 
Are we heading more just away from that type of score, or is it just a type of composer that does that type of score? Uh, I feel very fortunate because honestly, Mm-hmm. If I base uh, my answer to my personal experience and what's been happening to me, mm-hmm. I would actually say that we're that it's coming back. Mm. And it's coming back in a new way because the thematic and, and expressive aspect is not coming back in the sense of pushing the new frontiers away, but mm-hmm. just reincorporating itself in a very variegated, stylistic theater, if you will. For me, I've had a lot, almost all the directors I've worked with came to me because they heard something that was traditionalist that I did because it's the kind of thing that I like the most and they wanted to explore that territory and they Mm. delineated it in a modern way. Mm. And it's been a repeated experience for me. Now, I talked with a a, a very... uh, famous orchestrator about this that you were mentioning in our private conversation, Cora uh-huh. Pope, who told me, I think you're lucky. He says, I think you're lucky? I think you're lucky. I, I don't think it's necessarily a trend. And I agree ah. with him because I don't think it's a trend in the sense that we're moving away from the experimental and coming back to the Williams way. Yeah. I think we're going to live in a world where film music doesn't have a specific stylistic connotation anymore. Right. But it's an extremely diverse stage where everybody brings its own way of doing it. Mm. So you will continue to see extremely sound-based approaches that are very interesting. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about Johan Johansson, I'm thinking about these yep. names. And you will also see a commission between that and the stylistic aspect, which is a very good thing if you think about it, because it means that there is no stylistic filter to define what film music is. Yes, yes. I mean, that's something that I ran into years ago, where everybody was into a certain, I won't even go there, but a certain type of thing that John Williams and a few other composers were doing in almost every score. And we felt compelled that we needed to be in that same area, or people would think that our music wasn't uh, current. You know what I mean? So, it, it, yeah, that's awesome. Dan Carlin, who most people know as the uh, chairman of music, uh, the film music department, creator of that department at uh, USC and at Berkeley, uh, chairman of the Grammys. He's uh, an amazing guy. And I asked him uh, when he was at USC Thornton School, and I said, so I know that you've had people that walk in and and you think uh, when they walk in the door, you know that they're going to be successful. And I asked him that question, and it took him about a half a second to bring up your name. And he says, Marco Antonini. (laughs) But he saw something in you, and uh, I know that it's not bragging, but you're an extremely talented composer, and your training in Italy and your background set you apart, I believe. Can you talk a little bit about why you think he picked you? Yeah, uh, you know, it's a tricky question because you have to... (laughs) You know, play the balancing gap between not wanting to boast and and trying to recognize what it could have been. But I think it might be that, uh, obviously, before being the chair of the scoring program, he's Mm -hmm. been uh, around uh, the block, uh, so to speak. And he's been working with legendary composers 
that came fundamentally from a classical background or for, for, from a, a traditional musical education, that kind of thing. And I feel he, he, what, what uh, made us click on the artistic side uh, might have been that, because I had a, a very non-field music driven training. I took a 10 year program at the mm -hmm. Santa Cecilia Conservatory which is very aptly named Conservatory. It was funded in, uh, indirectly, but it was funded in 1516. Oh my and goodness. And it's, it's been, you know, field music in there, it's seen a little bit as a selling off. Mm. They're very academic. I was fortunate because I got to study uh, with uh, a couple of teachers that were instead very open-minded. Mm -hmm. I also studied with uh, Francesco Michelini, who is the, a, a very famous film composer in Italy. He's been doing this for a long time. It's very uh, strangely known in the US for being the author of a film theme that was reused as the main title of Curb Your Enthusiasm by Larry <laughs> David. It's that little march that he, uh -huh. he tells the story that he found it in a commercial, but it was actually already licensed in that commercial from uh -huh. the, the B-movie uh -huh. that my teacher did many years ago. So I was lagging that regard. But, you know, I've been doing a study of all the styles, mm -hmm. uh, Renaissance music, the fugue and the arbor and counterpoint, and then all the styles, and then contemporary experimental music, stuff like that, with the intention of applying it to film. So yes. I think Dan might have uh, appreciated that because he'd been working for a very long time with people that were very successful and did have this kind of background. He also, yeah. however, had a different, uh, different kind of clients that were more in the pop world and things yes. like that. So mm -hmm. there was also a very specific you know, human element. Mm -hmm. I like being around people and being friends. And yes. he is a strong believer in the fact that that's even more important than your music. So, Very interesting. That that's uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Let's switch subjects here for a second. Um, I know that you're also technical guy. You like. Yeah, you like you know you're an engineer. You do obviously like a lot of people do your own mock-ups. Would you talk about how important you think it may be for a composer today to um, you know to have chops in the technical world? It is very important, mm -hmm. and uh, you know uh, I don't I don't uh, define myself as a sound engineer because I don't have the training to be you know. Honestly, I would never do, call myself that, but uh, I know how to record a single instrument, incorporate it in a mock-up, produce the mock-up so that it can uh, end up in the final product and sound good. Mm -hmm. uh, if, if you get to recording an orchestra, obviously, uh, I think I mentioned this to you before, that I like quoting uh, Richard Bellis, who was a very big composer and is now been for many years the the chair of the ASCAP scoring workshop mm. in LA that I took several years ago. Actually, he now retired from that position. He used to say, would you ever let a non-professional mix your music? <laughs> if the answer is no, then don't mix your music. So <laughs> if you, you know, 
So that, that probably applies to recording a symphony orchestra yes, at Abbey yes. Road. But yes, it's very important because the bar is very high and directors, mm -hmm. uh, filmmakers, producers are used to listen to demos that sound like the real thing. Mm -hmm. So the, the, their ear is way more trained than it used to be. Right, yeah. Yeah, we see the same thing in the in the record, the music industry you used to be able to send in some basic little track with your idea and they would get a good producer and, and turn it into something. And today they expect to see fully produced, fully mixed tracks ready to just distribute. Yeah. It seems like you would have a bigger toolbox if you were very good at mock-ups, right? Yeah, yeah. And very often these, these projects uh, can become very successful because the other thing that they changed is at, at the at the higher level than, than mm -hmm. the post-production where we are. Yeah. Many studios now want to buy finished films and distribute them instead right. of producing them, which yep. means that these independent productions operate on a contracted budget and then maybe mm. the movie ends up on Netflix, you know? Yeah. But there yes. was no Netflix producing it or That's things right. like that. Margaret, talk to me a little bit. You mentioned earlier about you know that collaboration is one of your favorite pieces of the, all of this, and you're, you you collaborate a lot with uh, Jeff Beale on shows like The House of Cards and other shows that are like that. Uh, would you tell me what your part in is in this you know in this process and maybe how you guys connected? Yeah, so we met with Jeff at USC actually, mm -hmm. uh, in uh, Padre Kirst class was is uh, the uh, composition teacher there and he usually second semester he does this thing where you rescore scenes from a tv show mm -hmm. and the funny thing is that you only realize afterwards that all the students get these different scenes from different shows and there is this common thing that you not notice when you're doing the homework which mm -hmm. is that all these these shows that that have these scenes coming from are from the same composer. Oh. And so you do some uh, rounds with Patrick, he will ask you to revise, he will impersonate a producer that doesn't like it or an editor that decides to change the scene and you have to conform, things like that. And then there is, well, okay, now it's finished, let's do a session to review the final version. You mm -hmm. show up and the actual composer from the show is there. <laughs> it's a very it's a, it's a very nice experience for me it was jeff for okay. my year was jeff so i had rescored a scenes from house of cards that he liked uh, he critiqued uh, what i did and we connected but he stayed there and then we mm -hmm. reconnected after a while and i started work with the, working with him initially uh, the very first thing we did together was actually uh, score uh, engraving for a live concert that he did from his documentary Blackfish at the um, Ricardo Montalban Theater at Hollywood and Vine with mm. the Los Angeles Chamber Orchestra. Um, sorry, the Hollywood Chamber Orchestra. Mm -hmm. So we connected like that and then uh, basically my work with him has been as an orchestrator on seasons five and six of House of Cards and mm -hmm. a lot of projects after that. Oh, gotcha. Uh, my involvement with him is, I like to say, nobilitated copyist. 
Jeff oh. is a composer <laughs> that, <laughs> that, that sends, not because copies are not yes. noble, but because, yeah. you know, the orchestration in, in the sense of a, a creative apport is mm-hmm. not a thing when you work with Jeff, because he, yes. what comes in is a completely spelled out sketch in the form of the mock-up, because obviously he's a very digital composer, there's no paper involved. Mm-hmm. And uh, you even have the five parts for strings spelled out so, with difference between the first and seconds, you know, like. So it's all, the, it's a fully realized yeah, score. Yeah, you have to quantize yeah. and, and, uh-huh. and put it on paper and add dynamics and expressions in a way that will translate live the same way it did in the demo, which, by the way, uh, is always a pretty outstanding demo. So, you know, <laughs> but it's been, it's been a very good thing because... Sure. Uh, Jeff also has a jazz background, mm-hmm. and which is a jazz background as a player and, and a traditional background as a composer. So his sure. music has probably one of the most distinctive voices that you hear these days. It's mm. quintessentially modern, but you can also trace it back to a lot of tradition. Mm. And it ends up in territories that, that you cannot pinpoint the style that it's coming from. Right, uh, I love that. So for me, it's been a great learning experience because obviously, because of my eclectic uh, academia thing, I tend to go to a style. I have just a couple more questions, Marco. Um, And I thought of this this morning. Because it is important. Uh, what effect, if any, do you think that AI is going to have on your business, you know, your opportunities, or conversely, maybe how you'll even be using it? Yeah. Uh, the way I will be using it, I'm pretty sure I know what it is because it's already happening now. Mm-hmm. Uh, in, in, the, in the whole budget limitations and, uh, and uh, 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 schedule contraction situation we are talking about earlier, tools that leverage machine learning for mock-ups, mm-hmm. simulations, and mix and mastering are going to be the norm. And honestly, it's a natural evolution of the concept of presence. If mm-hmm. you do mastering nowadays in a DAW and you use the, the mastering plugin that's included with the DAW, it usually has a very large array of presets that were put together by people knowledgeable of the mastering process and you right. use it as a starting point to personalize. Now, mm-hmm. if you have a system that can listen to the incoming signal and craft a preset based on the actual program that's playing, that's the natural evolution. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. For the mock-up level, same story. If I can feed a score and have a system that does the mock-up for me, thank God we're coming back to a, a normal workflow for a composer. Ah, mm-hmm. In terms of generative AI, AI, AI that writes the music for you, that's a tricky problem. Mostly for what I can envision for now, but you would have to need to, to, to you know, foresee the future to know. Yeah. It's gonna be a problem for people who work in production music, music mm-hmm. libraries, because yeah. a director that can have a software that does a stock music for a video, 
and he has a slider that can control the level of intensity, mm-hmm. it's going to be more flexible and more inviting for, for a director than uh, uh, getting a stock music and editing it in because it will never be exactly what it wants. Very interesting. Yeah. As of now, I don't see a big risk for, na- for, for now for composers because uh, the kind of director that, that goes to a composer and wants to pay the premium to get a custom human-made score instead of using a library, it's probably the same type of director that will keep coming to the human composer instead of the AI. But that's me being very optimistic. We'll see. I've been wrong before on these things. <laughs> <laughs> if I was uh, just graduating from uh, Thornton or Berkeley or anywhere else, and I really wanted to, you know, I, I, my plan is to follow and to kind of start climbing the ladder like you. Uh, not being competition with you, but, <laughs> but you know, to go head the same direction. You know, could you share some advice or a lesson that helps somebody? So the, there are two things that are the only two things that you can control. Because when this question arises, and it arises a lot, there's always this feeling that the person who is perceived as having done this already is being reticent with information, doesn't want to share the recipe. Unfortunately, the bad news is that there is no recipe. So the, the, the things that you can control are networking which means from a broader's perspective uh, um, mm-hmm. coming to LA if you're particularly mm-hmm. interested on in Hollywood but also even just networking with people from from the place you are already in if mm-hmm. it has a film industry um, and a lot of composers who came here already successful from for example New York you know uh, so control networking, meaning mm-hmm, mm-hmm. join associations that, 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 that right. uh, have composers in it, if you're interested in working for a composer, or filmmaker associations, if you're interested in mm-hmm. going your own way immediately. That's the first thing that you can control is the less you are in your studio mm. alone, the better it is. The other thing that you can control is not trying mm-hmm. to control where the career goes. Mm. Uh, you mentioned Jeff Beer, but I also work with uh, Gordy Hub as an additional music composer on Tribal yes. A video games. When I came to the US, there was no yeah. uh, mm, concept of music for video games in my mind, because my country doesn't have much of that industry, or at least it didn't back in the day. Right. I came here, I discovered a world with that, by not mm-hmm. trying to say, yeah, this is fun, but I want to be a film composer. Uh, go where Patrick Kirst, the same guy that introduced me to Jeff Beer with the class, used to say, if you're in a river that's going in this direction and you want to mm-hmm. go to mm-hmm. one of the two sides, at least go diagonally, but in the direction yes. of the current. Don't try to go 90 degrees because you're probably going to die and drown. Right. Uh, so the career is going to go where it wants to go. Don't try to go against it because of a preconceived idea of where you want to put your music. So that's another good thing. So be open to, to possible different uh, things. 
And then the technology aspect. It seems stupid, but it's important. Do a tour of all the DAWs, not just mm -hmm. the one you use for your own writing. Test them all so that whatever composer or collaboration you end mm -hmm. up working with, you can fit in. Gotcha. Uh, and and that's gonna also that's gonna create less shock on the team right. you get into, but it's also gonna be less mm -hmm. time consuming for you to integrate in the team, uh, and 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 have time to continue your networking instead of having to be home fighting with a computer. So that's another very important thing is technology, I think. Yeah. Well, that boy, this has been enlightening in, in many ways. Um, I can't wait to watch your career. And oh, thank you. Yes. And I, uh, um, it, yeah, <laughs> no, no, no. I, you know, I think that uh, you've taken some of that out, right? It's that uh, saying that Dan had, oh my gosh, what was it? But I've heard it from other people in different ways. If you work hard enough, you'll get lucky. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. And I think that you've already done that and you're, you're still doing it. So I wish you very a lot of uh, luck in the future, Marco, Mr. Marco Antonini. Thank you very much. Thank you so much, sir. We'll talk again. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Theme music for Gig with Mike Redman was composed and produced by Other Animal. Thank you for joining me today for another episode of Gig with Mike Redman. If you like what you heard, I'd ask that you subscribe and like us. And finally, if you have questions about a job or ideas for an episode, contact me at gigwithmikeredman at gmail.com. Until next time, I'm Mike Redman, signing off.